Our first scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 through 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord." I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sounds of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. So over the past several weeks, uh, the past two weeks actually, we've been talking about revival and the ways that we might see revival and experience revival in different parts of our lives. So the first week we talked about seeing revival in your life, what that might look like, what might be uh, standing as an obstacle to your experience of revival and renewal. Then last week we continued that conversation by talking about what it might look like to experience revival in communities, in a church, in a family, even in a denomination or in the church across the world. We talked about the fact that that has to be centered on joy because if we have perfect programs, we might grow. But unless we have the gospel message, then we'll never experience revival unless we're built on the solid foundation that is Jesus Christ, revival is not something that we can achieve because it's not something that we do. It's something that God does. And today I want to keep that going and take it a step further and show how celebration in our lives, how recognizing and responding to the good, good work that God is doing in you and among us 
how celebrating that can start to overflow into the community around us, not just in our church, but all throughout our city, our neighborhoods, indeed our world. Because the truth is, God did not call just you or me to experience revival, but rather wants all of creation to experience that renewal. And the way that that happens is through celebration. So David this morning provides a great illustration for what celebration can look like, what celebration of what God has done might look like in a person's life. And for me, whenever I look at that story, I remember uh, youth group uh, trips, not because of the disrobing part, but because of the dancing part. I loved my church growing up. It was a great uh, youth group. It was a big church, had probably 4,000 members. And so our youth group was also quite large. And it was a great time. I went on every single trip that I could, and I loved almost every minute of it. But they had this habit, they had this song that they just loved. It was a song by David Crowder Band, a contemporary Christian praise and worship group. Uh, It was a song called Undignified. And it was based on this passage. And friends, when they would play this song at my church's youth gatherings, the kids would just lose their minds. They would just go wild and dance around and have a blast. And if you know me at all, then it will not surprise you to learn that I could just never get into it. I was... I was not only laid back as a child, I was reserved and I was shy. And there was nothing wrong with how these kids were celebrating the recognition of God's work. But I never felt led to celebrate in that way. I was never one who was called to dance or to to thrash around or anything like that. That's not how I was called to respond. And that's not to say that they weren't. That's not to say that that was anything less than pure celebration. But that wasn't how I was called to celebrate. There's not necessarily a right or wrong way to celebrate God's work. It depends very much on how you're called. And what I knew at that time was that while that might be celebration for them, it wasn't, it wasn't required for me to dance to be celebrating God. There's a big difference, too, between dancing at a retreat with other youth and experiencing celebration of God's love throughout our entire lives because the truth of the matter is, while these kinds of so-called mountaintop experiences can be great tools for renewal, while these set-aside times like youth camps or what many of us think of as revivals can be really uplifting uh, experiences of renewal and rejuvenation for a spirit that's grown stagnant, that's not the entire story. That's not all that we're called to. We can't leave it there and then go back to our lives as though nothing's changed. Because if nothing's changed, then you haven't experienced revival at all. You just had fun. And as a follow-up to that, a few years after I first heard that song... I was a freshman at Texas A&M, and I'd just gotten a phone call on that uh, cold autumn evening that my dog had been put down back home, and this came shortly after I got another phone call that my great aunt had passed away, and so I was feeling the weight of sadness in my life. 
there wasn't a whole lot of joy at that moment. And I decided I was going to take a walk across campus. So I went through what they call Academic Plaza, which is uh, it's in front of the academic building, a nice area with seating, and there's trees where you could usually find college kids in hammocks or with acoustic guitars. But this was a mostly quiet night. It was kind of cold, so there weren't a whole lot of people out there. But as I walked, trying to gather my thoughts, I started to hear something on the wind. And I was, I was confused because it sounded like music. And as I got closer to the academic building, I realized that it was, it was singing, and it wasn't just one person. It sounded like a choir. So I was curious about this. This is not something that I was expecting. It was probably 10 o'clock at night. I was not anticipating finding a choir out in uh, the cold evening, but I, I went and found a group of people, a group of students standing on the steps of the academic building. And what it was, was a, a part of the student group from the Church of Christ that had gathered to sing hymns on campus. And other students had gathered, some had joined them, some stayed near them to listen, others were singing along. And as I listened to them, and as I saw them sing, I remembered that there is joy to be found even in those terrible moments. That God's not distant even when things are hard, or even when you have a heavy heart. And I found myself singing along with them too, because it was comforting, but it was also a joyful thing. It was a celebratory thing to sing along during that time. Celebration can come in many different ways. There's not a right way to celebrate what God has done in your life. And in fact, it's not about finding the right way to celebrate at all. But rather, if you want to embrace revival in your life, then you have to recognize God's grace. You have to recognize God's presence and you have to respond to it without reservation. When it comes to responding to God, dignity shouldn't be a factor at all. There are so many more important things than dignity. I'm someone who's kind of comfortable speaking in front of groups, but singing in public is not my area. I get really nervous when it comes to singing with any kind of attention. But on that night, as I was celebrating with those other students, I didn't care who was around. I wasn't even thinking about that. All I was thinking about was God's presence that's what celebration is, is that pure response, that recognition of what God's done, and response in pure joy. Celebrating what God has done is so often undignified. Whether you've experienced revival or want to experience it for the first time, it is clear that there are far, far more important things than dignity. I mean, just think about how people celebrate things. People celebrate getting a good score on a test or on a report card. I know I was always excited about that. Think about how football players celebrate a touchdown. They do these little dances in the end zone. People are not afraid to celebrate things when they happen, but those are so small when compared to the greatness of what God has done and is doing in our lives. We have so much to celebrate when we've experienced revival. If you'll remember back 
Over the past couple of weeks, what we've said is that revival happens when we are convicted of our sin, of the depths of our need, and then amazed by grace and the heights of God's love. To be lifted up from such deep despair to such great joy, that's worth celebrating. That's so much better than good grades or a football touchdown. That's, if that's not worth celebrating, then nothing is. So what does celebration look like, or what can it look like? You know, like I've said, there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to celebrate God. Maybe for you it looks like singing. I know that's how it looks for me a lot of the time. I may not be comfortable singing in front of people, especially in front of crowds, but there's hardly a moment in my life where I'm not humming or whistling, and it's usually some kind of hymn uh, when, it gets on, uh, when it gets on my family's nerves, which it has for many years. Uh, I just tell them, well, I just have a song in my heart. And even though that's kind of a joke, it's also kind of true. For me, celebration looks a lot like singing. Maybe for you, it looks like dancing. I'll never forget the first time I went and visited a church in Florida, and I looked over as the praise band was playing, and I saw these two little kids, maybe four years old, just dancing around, having the time of their lives. And even though they might not have understood everything that was happening, even though they may not have had a perfect grasp of the lyrics, they knew that that was a time of joy. And they wanted to join in, and so they celebrated by dancing. Maybe that's what it looks like for you, too. Or maybe, as crazy as it sounds, maybe celebration and responding to God's work in your life means saying amen during a particularly powerful part of a service. There's no right or wrong way to respond to God's work. But Scripture does tell us that there are some things that happen when we celebrate, some things that celebration definitely entails. We're told that it definitely means gathering with other people for the specific purpose of praising God Scripture is not unclear about the fact that we were not meant to be alone. That we were meant for community. That's why Jesus established his church while on earth. Because it was so important that believers gather together to build each other up, to praise and pray together. Because in doing so, they're able to grow not only in their own faith, but grow closer to each other and help one another grow in their faith as well. When you share in burdens and share in joys, community becomes so, so powerful. Responding to God's work definitely means being visible. You know that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm gonna let it shine. We can't keep the joy that we have in Christ's renewal hidden away. We can't keep it hidden away in our church. We can't keep it hidden away in our lives. If you've been changed by grace, if you've been transformed by the Spirit, then you will look different than you did before. Your life will be changed, and other people will notice. And friends, if you can hide that joy, 
And I invite you to reflect on how open you've been to the work of the Spirit. Because when the Spirit works fully in your life, you can't hide that away. It would be like seeing a flame without heat. When the Spirit works, there is an effect. And it definitely means spreading joy beyond yourself. When you look at our scripture this morning, David, in responding to God, sent food out with the people. He sent them sweets, sweet breads, and regular food. Last week we talked about Nehemiah and how when the people heard the scriptures read to them for the first time in their lives, they were told to respond by taking the feast that they were having and sharing it with other people. We're not called to keep this just for ourselves. This is something that's meant to be shared. This is joy that others are meant to be invited into. Why is that? It's because God rejoices when we celebrate Him. Because celebration is a marker of revival. And if you look back at our scripture, Isaiah 65, 19, it says, God says, I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sounds of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Revival isn't the end here. Just as celebration is a marker of revival, revival is a marker of the renewing work that God is doing in us and all throughout the world. Because like I said, God's final goal isn't just to save you or me. It is to save us, but it's in fact to restore all of creation to a right relationship with Him. We're told that at the beginning, God walked with His creation. And at the end, God will walk again with His creation in perfection. And that's what God is doing when He's renewing us and renewing our communities and renewing our world. God is doing the work. Like I've said, revival is not about what we can do. The burden is not on us. The burden is on God. Thanks be to God. It's about what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross, and it's about what God is doing now through the Spirit that lives and moves in us and in our world. But with that being said, what we can do is we can seek as we're changed. We can seek to be participants in God's work in the world, in God's revival of the world. Because when we celebrate, that celebration involves spreading joy to others and spreading the results of joy to them as well. And then inviting them to come back with us, not just to go to them, but to invite them into community and into relationships so that they might grow in faith as well. So how can we do that? How can we take the joy that we know? How can we take the revival that we experience in our lives and in our church and carry it out to people beyond? Well, first, you can pray for your neighbors and the people that you come across. Prayer is at the heart of every revival. Scripture tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is a powerful thing. And friends, as you are being made righteous through Christ, your prayers are powerful too. 
So we are called to be in prayer, not just that we might come closer to God, but that the people we meet might come closer to Him as well. Our family members and friends, but also our neighbors. Also, the people that we come across at the grocery store or while getting an oil change or while getting a haircut. We're called to be people who pray for other people, but we're not called to stop there. We're also called to then love those people that we pray for. We're called to want to be a part of their lives, to be in genuine relationships with them, to genuinely care about them, and to show them love as we've been loved by Christ. And part of loving people means caring for them as well. When Nehemiah, in last week's scripture, sent people out with food, he told them to go to those who have none. Take this food to those who aren't even here and who don't have any food for themselves. Part of loving your neighbors involves caring for their physical needs, both feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, but also comforting the mourning, being present with the lonely. We're called to care for people's needs, and that includes people who might be forgotten. When David was called by his wife, or called out by his wife for being disgraceful and dishonorable, his response was, yes, that might be the case for my household. But for those slave girls, it's not. And if they can see God through this celebration, then I will celebrate, even if it's undignified here. And finally, it means spreading the gospel message. You may have heard the popular saying, preach the gospel wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. But friends, it is always necessary to use words because if we meet the physical needs of every person we come across, that's a great and wonderful thing. But if we don't share with them the gospel message, then we're ignoring the deepest need that people have. Now all of these things can be embarrassing because to proclaim the good news, to share your testimony, means being vulnerable. To be in genuine relationships with people means exposing yourself to pain and to embarrassment. Because the message of the gospel, because the testimony that we have is, I was so far fallen, I was so far gone, and now God has lifted me up, we have to acknowledge how far gone we were. And that's hard. But beyond just that, spending time with people who are on the margins, can be really embarrassing. Just as David was chastised by his family, by his own wife, for spending time attending to the slave girls, we might find ourselves embarrassed by who we're called to be in relationship with, by who we're called to sit down with at lunch or dinner. But friends, Jesus scarcely had a meal in his life where he wasn't judged for who he was eating with. So we're called to take the gospel message out to everybody, no matter how close to the center or how far on the margins they are, because everybody equally needs the gospel. Everyone needs to hear that joy. 
And beyond just that, we in the Methodist tradition have this history of this. One of the most powerful things in our history comes from a diary entry that John Wesley wrote. See, this is a man who was a priest, who was an Oxford professor, who was highly respected and regarded and esteemed by his peers. And yet he was told by one of his friends that if he wanted to spread the gospel, he needed to go out into the fields to do it because those were the people who'd never heard it. And so he wrote in his diary, Today I submit myself to become more vile. And he went out into the mud, into the fields, with the impoverished and the laborers. And he told them about the love of Christ. And friends, a revival started. And that revival has spread. All of this is sharing in God's work as he renews the world, as he makes all things new. And in doing that, it spreads the good news, it spreads revival, and most importantly, it glorifies God through our lives. And at the end of the day, the message is this, it's more important to glorify God than to gain admiration from anyone around you. And here's more good news. Revival wants to be spread. It's contagious. Once it starts, it's hard to contain. The reason for that is because it's exactly what people need. People are looking for friendship. They're looking for community. They're looking to fill the emptiness that they have in their lives. They're looking for fulfillment, looking for salvation and a source of joy, and that's what we have. That's what revival is. And as we celebrate, as we celebrate the work that God has done for us and is doing in us, that stirs up revival. People notice, and people want a part of that joy. So celebration can stir up revival in powerful ways. When we are generous and when we are inviting for others, when we ask them to come with us into community so that they can experience this joy too, powerful things happen. There I say even revival might happen for them as well. Thanks be to God. Amen.